Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the definitive podcast of the entire cosmos when it comes to sexual integrity. And in today's episode, I'm interviewing this really fantastic human being. Her name is Lisa Thompson. I met her at a CARP event in Las Vegas, and she's a part of an organization that I've been a fan of for years called National Center on Sexual Exploitation. They're based out of D.C. You might have heard of them. If you haven't, please exit the rock from whence you existed underneath and join the rest of the world because they are one of the key contributors to fighting human trafficking. And I've loved them for years, but I've gotten to know a few of their employees, Don Hawkins, Patrick I met a couple times, and I've only loved them even more because the people that comprise the organization are so real and raw and powerful. And so, yeah, check it out. Just listen to this interview and take some notes about what is the similarities? What are the parallels between human trafficking and pornography? It's really important to understand this point so that you can have more ammunition to not participate in this horrible losing transaction with porn because it, it really adds to a world that we don't want to be a part of, which is using and abusing others for our own benefit. So enjoy this interview. She's a really cool lady. It was brief because she had a meeting right after, but we still got a lot of beautiful gems in there. So please enjoy Lisa Thompson of Encozy. All right, everybody, welcome back. And today we have a very special guest, somebody that I met a couple years ago. We were trying to figure out when did we see each other last? And it, apparently we're in some weird time-space continuum where we can't ever remember because time is so strange these days. But I believe it was about two years ago in Las Vegas at an amazing event to raise awareness about sexual integrity. And she's a part of an organization that I've been a nerd for for years since I first saw them at the Josh McDowell Set Free Summit back five years ago or something. I saw Don Hawkins. I heard about NCOZY, which is National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And I've been such a big fan because they're so hardcore about ending human trafficking, raising awareness, but also empowering people to end this ridiculous plight on humanity. And later, a few years later, then I met Lisa Thompson, who's here with us today. And she has such a deep heart. I think within 10 minutes of meeting you, Lisa, I think you were crying. <laughs> we were sharing. It was like a breakout at the event and you were crying. I was like, wow, this person, she's in it for the right reason. She's really both strong and has a really rich and deep heart. So I'd like to welcome up Lisa Thompson up to bat here on the Love, Life, and Legacy podcast. Welcome, Hi, Lisa. Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I know we've been meaning to do this for months now, but I was in a weird time zone and we all get busy. So thank you for making time. Oh, glad to. Good and, to reconnect. Yeah, thank you. And we don't get to see each other. We're just talking right now. But I do really remember everybody that I've met at Encozy, when I meet them, it's kind of like I've known them forever. You guys are all just really wonderful. I'd love to hear what is Encozy and why does it attract such amazing people? Well, so Nicosi is the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And I think what you're talking about there, Andrew, like that kind of connection or that feeling you get around certain people, it's just when you know you found your tribe, you know, yeah. like when you found people who share your concerns and vision and passion in the world and you just suddenly connect. So yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear you say that you were nerds for us. I just love it. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a high compliment from you. So yeah, we're the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. 
organization. Our organization has been around since the 1960s, if you can believe it. We go back a long way. So in the early days, we were focused entirely on efforts to combat pornography. And back to time, we were known by a different name in the 60s. But then that organization, Morality and Media, worked really hard for decades to combat the normalization of pornography, improve federal obscenity laws, or actually, I'm sorry, improve state federal, <laughs> improve state obscenity laws. There, I got it out. Advocated for enforcement of federal obscenity law and just did a whole lot around the issue of pornography. And they did that work for like 40 years. And then, but over time, you know, the organization kind of was waning, it was losing the strength and momentum. And then in about the mid-2000s, Patrick Truman joined, and so shortly thereafter, Don Hawkins and Whammo, new life was breathed into the organization, and we eventually changed our name to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And we really also went through a lot of strategic conversations and decided to broaden our scope. While pornography will always be one of our main cornerstone issues that we focus on, we work to address the entire web of sexual abuse and exploitation. So everything from child-on-child harmful sexual behavior to sexual assault, sexual identification, you name it, prostitution, pornography, sex trafficking, all these issues, we want to work to combat them all. And our what we kind of bring unique to this work is that that we want to highlight the ways that they're interconnected. We don't think that, well, I I Rebecca, what what I see a lot of in my experience is that, oh, well, child sexual abuse is over in one box and sex trafficking is in another box. But in fact, like those are just a couple examples of two things that are very closely related, intersect with each other. And then when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you know, examining this problem, you find, wow, there's deep roots that run into the issue of pornography. So that's a lot of what we do. I mean, in a nutshell, we want to defend human dignity and oppose all forms of sexual abuse and exploitation. That's a big mission statement right there. It is. <laughs> a little exhausting sometimes. <laughs> yeah, especially the walls are closing in. Well, we'll get into a lot of this because that's another reason why I love your organization, because regardless of what the culture may seem like it, like the direction it seems like it's headed, you're always finding new sources of inspiration and like there's no fire lost in any one of you because I'm betting on you. I know that in the end, you guys are going to win. I've seen Don during difficult hours <laughs> when things right. when things were not going well, but still she found hope and same with you, same with the whole organization. So I want to get into that in a bit. First, I want to figure out, so it was... Patrick, and then Don, and then where did you come into the picture? And how did that happen? Yeah, I came on board, it was about five and a half years ago when I joined the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And before that, I had been involved in efforts to combat sex trafficking for roughly a little less than 20 years overall through different organizations, but had been involved in advocacy efforts, helping organizations start their kind of really focus on survivor services, most part, trying to stand up survivor programs to help get survivors the services that they need. But then the longer I was involved in those efforts, the more I was becoming frustrated because I realized we're not really stopping the flow or the creation of new victims. Like, you, can, sure. you know, we're building all these hospitals at the bottom of the cliff, but can we, you know, 
put a fence up at the top, you know, like stop all this horrible exploitation before it begins. And so the more I kept mulling over the issue and learning about it, I saw these ties with the pornography industry. Then I was following, like kind of like you, Andrew, I wasn't a cozy nerd. I was following the National Center on Sexual Exploitation before it was even called that. And I was like, wow, it would be my dream to work with Pat and Dawn and work to combat pornography. And so a long story short, I did reach out to them at some point and one day and just say, hey, I'm, I'm in the market for a job. I would love to work for you guys. And thankfully, you know, they took me up on it. They, we had had some opportunity to work together in the past. So they knew me. So that helped. But anyway, so that was five and a half years ago now. And I can hardly believe it. Like <laughs> what's happened in that time and yeah. how things have changed for our organization and really where we are as a movement. Things have, have really shifted. It has. And I mean, tickle me ignorance. You know, you'd been fighting already for almost 20 years prior. And I had no idea, honestly, that there is a word for human trafficking up until very recently, because now it's really everywhere, right? But how did you like want to fight this? Because it was kind of not a well-known topic in society, not something often discussed. Now it's definitely more in the public forum, but like say 20 plus years ago, what compelled you to do something so righteous? Well, that was really providential. Basically, I got a job with organization in DC. I was a young, basically I was an office manager, but it was a faith-based group that did some policy work and they got involved in the early efforts to pass the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And this was like late 1998. Okay. And at the time, I seriously had no idea about what trafficking was, never heard of it, and was just really mortified, but also compelled. Like I felt, wow, like I really want to do something about this. And I had been told that I could, you know, get myself more involved in particular advocacy efforts. And so, you know, approval was given and I started doing all I could to help us and to kind of build help support coalition efforts that were going on to pass the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And so while that effort started in 98, the bill didn't get passed until like October 2000. So there was quite a lot of work that myself and others did. I was a small player in this. Don't get the idea. I was a mover and shaker. I was like a greenhorn in DC and didn't know much, was just learning. And fortunately, I met people. I met some amazing people. I was also mentored by a woman who was very informed, who took me under her wing and taught me so much about this issue. And so it eventually, I just decided that this is what I wanted to do. Like I really wanted to stay, just become 100% focused on this. And thankfully, a door opened. And eventually, I ended up going to the Salvation Army. I worked there for more than 12 years, helping them start up programs to combat trafficking and helping with some policy efforts there. They were engaged somewhat in policy, you know, advocacy efforts. And then I did another stint relief and development organization that ran trafficking programs overseas. And so I had spent some time in places like West Africa and Cambodia helping manage those programs. And then I ended up, I reached out to Nikosi to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And thankfully, the door opened and I was able to come on board. And it's really been a great fit. I just love working where I do. Yeah, I can tell. It's awesome. And so, I mean, we don't have that much time together. And But what I'd really love for people to walk away from listening to this is understanding what's going on in this world. And you hear a lot. There's a lot of 
Pornhub is evil and it's this massive entity, right? I was very confused because when I went to Montreal, I was visiting for like a month. I drove by the headquarters at Pornhub and it's the most oh, innocuous, wow. like it's a nothing building. It doesn't look fancy. It's just maybe four floors or something like that. It's very nondescript, very unassuming. And you'd never presume that anything like a world dominion of trafficking could emanate from such a place. Yeah. But so that also messed with my mind a bit because it's kind of like, what's real? What's fake? How big is this issue? What's the correlation with porn? I would just love to try to unpack this to help people understand what is human trafficking? How does it impact us? And how is it connected to porn? Wow, there's a lot of different angles there, Andrew. <laughs> I know, it's a huge question. Uh, okay, but I'll start with some a little bit about Pornhub for people who may not be very, very familiar. So Pornhub is just one public-facing part of a company called MindGeek. Okay. But Pornhub is probably the most well-known of its many entities. And Pornhub is essentially what they call a porn aggregator website. So think of it as YouTube or pornography. People okay. share videos, they upload them, they can download them, at least they could until about a month ago, they could download content from there. And so it became this gigantic porn site. One of the, in fact, just like a couple of weeks ago, when I was looking, it was ranked number 11 some, in, the, in the entire world for, tra for website traffic. Now, it was ranked number 10. I think it's dropped to number 11. Anyway, you get the idea. It's very highly ranked website. And in fact, it may not even be the most visited. There's some serious competition. But at any rate, Pornhub is more well known because they're sort of into like branding themselves. They put out big advertising campaigns. They're noted. They have a lot of notoriety for the fact that they are out. You know, they're they're just well known for sure. gimmicks and stunts to bring themselves publicity. So at any rate, this is a massive website. It's hard for people to imagine the scale of what we're talking about with just Pornhub. Like, for instance, over 4 million videos are uploaded each year. We're talking about new videos. So 4 million new video uploads each year. A lot of that content is rife with child sexual abuse material, sexual assault material. It's got a lot of it's racist. There's stuff like spy cam footage and just all kinds of other exploitive, likely criminal content on the site. Sure. Uh, but anyway, MindGeek is the parent company. And it's just made it, its whole business model has monetized massive amounts of unverified user-generated material that includes stuff like child sexual abuse material and rape. So at any rate, we're ourselves and allies have been involved for years in trying to call out the pornography industry to get laws enforced so that Pornhub and other sites like it would be held to account. And I should really back up and say MindGeek because that is the company that's yeah. ultimately in control of the whole thing. And another little point here, it's not a little point, it's a big point. You've got literally billions of hits on this site every year. So many people from around the world visiting it. And it's conditioning people's sexual templates, right? Like they're getting exposed to this stuff. It's because seeing rough sex portrayed, seeing degrading acts portrayed, seeing even criminal content portrayed. Sure. This is becoming normal to people. And I think that is one of the serious, I mean, right now there's a big investigation in the Pornhub that's launching. And that was because some, um, because of the advocacy that's been going on, finally 
some a high profile journalist started paying attention to what we've been saying. And Nicholas Kristof wrote a piece that appeared in the New York Times documenting some of the abuses that are going on on Pornhub, particularly surrounding minors. And it, for the first time, like there's like massive outcry. We're like, wait a minute, this has been going on. Most people know about it. It's not, it's like this hidden in plain sight kind of thing. But finally, because of the coverage of the New York Times, it sort of has given the, whether people were intentionally not had their heads buried in the sand or somehow ignorant to this, now the veil has been torn off and the curtains pulled aside and people know what's going on in Pornhub. So the Canadian Parliament has actually just launched an investigation into Pornhub because Pornhub is based, I should say MindGeek, is based in Canada, where you, as you were just mentioning, going by the headquarters. And yeah. just today, the Canadian Parliament's Ethics Committee began their investigation into MindGeek with some very compelling testimony from a young victim who had her content of images of herself uploaded to Pornhub as a minor. And so we're excited about this progress that's happening on this front, that finally somebody's paying attention to what's been going on for years now. How do you see this playing out in the next 10, 20 years? Because there's a clear convergence of, you know, people really getting good at exploiting people, right? making billions of dollars off of it. Human trafficking is becoming, you know, a masterful science for some people. Yet at the same time, now there's more awareness and there's more people fighting against it. It really seems like this battle of good and evil. For somebody who's been in the midst of this battle for so long, where do you see this kind of playing out? When you see MindGeek being taken to court and being questioned, do you see this as something that just couldn't happen in the past and finally it's happening? Or is this history repeating itself and it's just we're getting closer and closer to some ultimate end? Or how do you see this? Playing? Yeah. So just one quick clarification. In, in this thing I was talking about in Canada is the Canadian Parliament. So that's not okay. exactly a lawsuit, but there are lawsuits that are okay. emerging and people are suing, beginning to sue Pornhub, which is a, is a very positive development. But to your question, I, as someone who's been involved in this area for many years now, I would say that for people who care about ending sex trafficking, who care about stopping child sexual abuse and any other kind of sexual violence, you must care about mainstream adult pornography sites like Pornhub. You must care about what MindGeek does. Please explain. Yeah, I want I everybody think, to understand this. I think the problem has been is that one of the problems is, is that people think that this sex trafficking or child sexual abuse material, child pornography is how most people refer to it. Th this is not a dark web issue. I mean, yes, it happens on the dark web, but so much of it now is just on the mainstream internet. So the internet basically completely revolutionized the way sex trafficking happens. It changed, it radically changed the way child sexual abuse happens. It made it a growth industry, right? Because everything can be facilitated online. It made so many things easier for the exploiters. So let's talk a little bit about like sex trafficking. With sex trafficking, you know, in the past when people were being sex trafficked, prostituted, pimped on city streets, like they were out in the public. The prostitution was happening in the open on the streets, or maybe it was happening out of a, a strip club or someplace like that. But it, you had to have the person who was the buyer, who was looking to engage that person, had to go out to a certain part of town and troll around looking to, for somebody to buy for sex. The internet took that whole step out. So the made 
shopping for people for sex as convenient as you know just looking scrolling a website like amazon right yeah. you could simply surf the web find connect on certain internet platforms that were that had entire business models built on buying basically on prostitution facilitating facilitating prostitution and then the demand the people who are looking to buy people it made it so easy it brought it out of the shadows it was right there on the internet so that meant that law enforcement had a much harder time identifying what was going on and because of the internet this basically it just exploded like wildfire so you have prostitution booming all across the country. And when you've got this demand exploding, of course, you're going to have trafficking in order to meet that demand because demand always outstrips supply. So at any rate, then we're thinking about, so you've got all these websites that are dedicated to promoting prostitution, but you also have websites that are dedicated, their whole business model is premised on, on making pornography available. And I think even today, I was thinking as I was listening to this hearing that was going on about Pornhub and MindGeek, one of the things that really stood out to me was that as this young survivor is telling her story about how this video that she'd sent to a boy who she thought liked her, who kept grooming her and harassing her to send him an explicit video, how it got shared at school and how it got uploaded. But then everywhere she went, whatever school she was at, people knew. And people would see her video. And I'm thinking, this is insane. She was in seventh and eighth grade. That's and these crazy. kids are seeing her video. Now, that should be a wake-up call for everybody. Yeah. Pornhub is like well-known to your children. It's not a shock. It's not something that they don't know about. It's not a place that they're not going and not seeing. And it's not that I'm saying the kids are bad. It's just that we have, as a society, completely created, we've taken the guardrails off entirely yeah. it's like it blows my mind we wouldn't take our kids and set them in a triple x store and say hey you'll have cl you know have class in the middle of this triple x store but we'll put them in schools with computers without filters we'll give them chromebooks without filters we might as well be setting them in the triple x store because internet is just completely rife with pornography and the kids are going to find it and see it, whether they look for it or not. They're going to be seeing it. They'll find it accidentally. Or their friends and other kids at school will show it to them. So this is how this now young woman had her life completely derailed because her images got uploaded to Pornhub. And she was harassed and bullied to the point where she wanted to commit suicide. It was so extreme. So at any rate, back to my main point is that the internet has completely changed things. And now th things that children never would have seen or been exposed to, they can carry it around right in their back pockets. And really a whole world of extreme sex and fetishized content is just at their fingertips. But I guess I need to back up more because with what I wanted to say about pornography here and the pornography sites on the internet is that is this is shaping, this is creating a market. Pornography users, they escalate. The kind of content that they begin watching isn't going to satisfy them a few months down the road. So they're going to have to look for different kinds of content in order to be satisfied, you know, to get their sexual satisfaction. And so this is why there's literally like no end to the types of pornography that are available, the extremes in the pornography that's out there, the yeah. wealth of fetishized content. And some of that made for a significant portion of those people who 
start consuming pornography and go down that path and become compulsive users. And some of them are going to become sex buyers in terms of buying, you know, literally wanting to buy people. So there's a link between the demand for use of pornography and the demand for prostitution. In both of these trades, both the pornography industry and the prostitution industry are dependent upon vulnerable people to make up the performer, you know, to to be the one who's consumed. Now, I'm not saying that every single person who's involved in the sex trade was sexually abused as a child, but we know that many of them were. We know that many of them were, come from broken homes, homes of neglect, have all kinds of hurdles to get education, to have a meaningful income. And so the sex trade is all too willing to take advantage of that. So I don't know, hopefully at that point it's becoming clear that the sex industry has a predatory dependence upon vulnerable women and children to make up those who are the performers, whether that's in pornography or in the actual exchange of sex between two people in person. You and your organization are incredibly powerful. And from what I gather, you know, based on the organizations that you've been a part of, you are a believer in God. And typically in the providence of God, it's not a large amount of people that are required to make a massive difference, right? It's just a few very clear, very strong, very united people can make a tidal wave of difference in terms of the history. And I would love to know, because honestly, I know I lived in D.C. for a while and I got to know about the whole lobbyist organization you know, that genre of life and how much money is being flowed into Washington from the porn industry, from really bad sources. And I know that in Cozy, you guys are doing pretty well, but you're not flush with cash. You don't have spare hundreds of millions of dollars to throw at a senator when you want to. So with all that considered, it seems like if you're just to look at what's happening culturally from your eyes, it seems like we're losing momentum But I know intuitively, and when I speak to people like you, that actually momentum is tilting in our favor. So I would love to hear from you, like what you're really excited about, the victories that you've been a part of in the next few years, what you really anticipate in terms of seeing a cultural shift. Yeah, that's such a cool question. And what I'm excited about, one is efforts to combat demand. Like I really feel that the demand is the key. We can build programs to help survivors till forever. And while we need to do that work, we're just going to be serving more victims. We're just creating a service industry that's never going to go away. And we want to see this stopped. So we have to look at the cultural levers that create the problem. And when it comes to child sexual abuse, when it comes to sex trafficking, when it comes to the, all the, the harm that's done to people in the pornography industry and in prostitution, that lever is the demand, the people who are the consumer of those, whether they're in pornography or in prostitution. And I should make a quick distinction here or clarification that pornography is prostitution. It's prostitution with a camera in the room. Hmm. It's prostitution for mass consumption. And as I was explaining earlier, it contributes so significantly to the demand for all these other things that are abusive. So In terms of what excites me, it's efforts to combat demand, whether that be, you know, through improved legal mechanisms that hold sex buyers accountable, that put the onus of responsibility on those who buy people for sex, rather than on, you know, arresting 
the people who are purchased for sex over and over, which is the model that we've seen in the U.S. for forever. So there's some growing momentum there to basically disentangle the laws that deal with prostitution so that the person who's purchased is not victimized, is not criminalized, but that we really focus our criminal penalties on the people who do the harm, and that's the buyers. So that's exciting for me to see you know, a lot of effort around there. And in fact, for those who don't know in your audience, Nicosi has recently brought on board a website we now manage called demandforum.org, which is all about efforts to help documenting how communities are combating using various legal mechanisms to hold sex buyers to account. There's these tactics to counter the demand for paid sex. So we're we're very excited about that. What is the link for that? What is what is Yeah, it's called demand and then there's a dash forum.org. Nice. We're gonna be doing a lot of work on that website in the next year and a half. So people can keep their eye on it. There'll be a lot more coming to that website soon. Very cool. And then I would say, really, I think one of the other big things is our Dirty Dozen list. You know, we've been doing it for a while now, and it's where we publish the names of mainstream entities that fuel profit from, you know, contribute to the normalization of sexual exploitation. But we're seeing it, it's really taking hold. Like we've been building it, this project and building it and working to have an influence on corporations to change corporate policy, to hold corporate actors to account for the things that they do that fuel this whole culture of sexual exploitation. And we're really finally having breakthroughs with some of these companies and seeing policies change. So I find that incredibly exciting. And for instance, I mean, one of the reasons why we are where we are now with Pornhub and MindGeek is because of the pressure we were able to put on payment processors like Visa and MasterCard to stop processing payments for Pornhub and MindGeek. So that was massive. You know, we were finally able to make them enforce their own corporate policies, you know, Visa and MasterCard. And then that put the pinch on Pornhub. It really hurt them where to them it counts, which is their pocketbook. So those are some examples of some of the things that I'm excited about. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all you do. I know you have to leave in one minute. I'm very conscious of that. But I, yeah, I just want to validate your efforts and let you know that a lot of people that we're connected to, we have connections to people all over the world and they're very much aware of your efforts and really do appreciate them. We try to stay in our lane and are trying to build out ways for people to create visions and live out their visions of what healthy sexuality is. So we try to not get into politics and all that, but it's so important. But we leave that to the experts, which is you. And we know that you're doing such a great job and we're big fans of your organization. I just want to say thank you for all that you do. It makes a huge difference. On those days when it seems like the world is against you, we're with you and we love you guys so much. So thank you. Well, Andrew, we thank you so much. Really, this is, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share and that you care and that you highlight these issues and that you're working the way you are to help people live lives with dignity and sexual integrity towards each other. I mean, that's just fantastic. And we're really grateful for to have you as an ally. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I hope you have a great day and a great next meeting. And got to let you go. Thanks. As much as I don't want to, I I have to. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I have to run. Maybe we can pick this theme up another time. Yeah. There'll be a part two later on. Okay. Awesome. Take care, Andrew. Thank you. 
I hope you found that episode enjoyable. And before we go, I wanted to challenge you to take your life on, to take your life to the next level. And if you're struggling in any way with pornography, with masturbation, with issues of sexuality that just are not helping you at all, if you want to reclaim your life, reclaim your eyes and ears, your time, your energy, then take our free 15-day challenge. If you go to highnoon.org, you can find our 15-day challenge right there on the front page. Take it. It's absolutely free, no strings attached. We've designed it to help you gain some level of momentum in your journey of sexual integrity so that you can take the next step, whatever that may be. It could be to go to our deeper Ascend program, which is a 90-day program we have. It could be to reach out to that accountability partner. It could be to just take the whatever steps you need to take in your journey to build the life of heavenly sexuality that you deserve. So go to highnoon.org right now if you want to break up with porn and start to get engaged with the life of your dreams and eventually marry it. Doesn't it sound nice? So go to highnoon.org to find all of those resources and more. It's been a slice.